Welcome to the 51st episode of Dialogika, a podcast between two friends about the latest in politics, society, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Sweden Lee, and my co-host Stephanie is out this week, and also, as you'll hear in our podcast, has nothing to contribute to this week's episode, which is, surprise surprise, about the World Cup. I'm going to be talking to a great friend of ours and a former guest of the podcast, Karina Basaria, who is a almost lifelong football fan and certainly one of my closest friends who I can talk football about for hours and hours on end. We'll be talking about the upcoming semifinals between France and Belgium, as well as England and Croatia. We're recording this before those two matches, so we have no idea who's going to be in the final. And yeah, we'll talk about the politics of football, the politics of the World Cup, and you know, maybe our predictions at the end will come true if England don't mess it up. Just a fair warning, there is some strong language in this episode because, hey, it's it's football. We'll be talking shit all day. So, without further ado, here's to it. this episode, we have our great friend and former guest of the podcast, Karina Basaria, who's actually in Russia right now in St. Petersburg. What are you doing there, Kerry? Uh, I'm catching <laughs> the semifinals tonight and then another semifinal tomorrow evening. So yeah, for our listeners, we're recording on Monday night or Tuesday morning Indonesia time, which means we don't know who's going to be in the final yet. But by the time this episode goes no, live... It's true. <laughs> Exactly. So you're gonna you have to take all our um, predictions and just with a grain of salt, I think. Yeah, we might be completely off. Who knows? <laughs> but that's yeah, why that's why we, we love the World Cup. <laughs> I'm really excited to talk to you about the World Cup. You know, I love football. I know you love football. In particular, I mean, like the World Cup is just so, especially this year's, is just so crazy, so unpredictable. Yeah, it's really weird. Because, you know, everyone was vouching for Germany to go I know. beyond two seconds of their <laughs> like of their, of their run, mm-hmm. which is so weird because they ended up at the bottom of their group, which is, oh my god. And that's not even the biggest upset, right? Like, that was just one of the many upsets that was yeah, that that happened was, in this. Exactly. It's just <laughs> massive. But before we dig right into the World Cup, Carrie, can you talk a little bit about how your personal history and relationship with football in general, you know, <laughs> the club you support, the country you support <laughs> during these uh, four-year events? Um, okay, so I started watching football religiously in 2006 during the Champions League final between Barcelona and Arsenal. <laughs> um, our mutual good friend, Ryan is an Arsenal fan, and mm-hmm. he said, oh my god, I, we need all the support that we can, so watch the game and see, you know, Arsenal for the first time, and I did, um, and they were wearing those ghastly yellow jerseys that they had, but... Okay. Throwback, and, <laughs> but they were good! <laughs> yeah, I know, throwback when, you know, O2 was still their sponsors, yeah. um, so I watched it, and Obviously, predictably, well, not predictably, but Arsenal lost, obviously, as we all know, because they never won the Champions League. Um, 
for some reason, their team really, you know, resonated. So I started following them next season, obviously, and just never looked back, really. And at the time, Thierry Henry was still playing, but then the next season, it was all fiasco because he was leaving and stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, so I never really got to see him in, at his very peak. But, you know, started learning more about Arsenal and their history and their invisible history. Invincible history, not invisible history. They're invisible right now, but <laughs> I thought that was just like a great Freudian slip right there. <laughs> Yeah. You know, that was, you know, that was history right there. Oh, wow. Marco Matarazzi gets crushed by Zidane. It was, um, it was a final in the most French and Italian way, I think. <laughs> that is true, actually. <laughs> and, I never um, thought of it that way, but that is so true. Yeah, I mean, Maturati is a piece of shit if he really did say all that crap to Zidane. Yeah. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's like, it's really sad because I would have liked to see Zidane, which is one of the greatest players that you had the pleasure of witnessing, I mm-hmm. think, even through the TV screen, win another, uh, win another World Cup, obviously, because he won in 98. But yeah. It's funny when you mention France versus Italy in the 2006 World Cup. I personally am a Liverpool fan, which we you know. We all know, and we all regrettably understand. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> We've had our days, and you know, I don't know if you actually know this, but guess what my first team was before Liverpool? I supported this team for a year before Liverpool. Let's see. You're Asian, so probably United. <laughs> okay. How is it even possible? <laughs> I like kill myself first. No, um, ironically, I supported Chelsea. Oh, of course you did. I remember that. I remember that um, because Chelsea had just been bought by Abramovich, like around our time, right? Yeah. And they resurrected into this, like you know, world class team. When before they were just like a pretty much like a second London team, you know, behind Arsenal, even Spurs. Yeah. So, I mean, Chelsea was like. A second tier team, you know. I only liked it because they had Gianfranco Zola, who I think was like an, oh, a beautiful player. He was, like, he was a good player. And that actually, because of him, I fell in love with Italy as a as the country that I support. Which is ironic because in 06, I was totally on Zidane's side because Materazzi, as you said, is a shithole. <laughs> and a part of me is a little bit sad that this year they're not in it, but also deservedly so. They kind of they need to get their act together. <laughs> Before they can even participate in anything again. Yeah, you mean they need to start getting fresh blood and not dinosaurs <laughs> yes. from, like... That's the thing with Italian team. Like, I, I find Italian football actually really boring because I haven't actually maybe really sat down and get to know the way that they that they play, you know? When we were growing up in our teens, that was probably Italian football at its best, you know? You've got Kaka, you've got Pirlo... It's so weird because a lot of Indonesians back then was super, you know, heavily into the Milan clubs and like yeah. Juventus, mm-hmm. and that was my first memory of football. Was that a lot of Indonesians follow Italian football because yeah. they see it as like you know the ultimate beautiful game where it's played, mm-hmm. and then and then we saw that sort of like gradually dissipate and disappear 
as we start following in football and we see, you know, English Premier League kind of take, you know, overtaking mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a shame because I think they produce very fine players and really good clubs and, I mean, great clubs. And and the great so. club culture, right? That's part yeah, of exactly. how I learned, like, fandom at its truest form. Also in its, like, ugliest yeah. form. But there's something yeah, I mean, about yeah, just, being a fan. Just regarding uh, Lazio and uh, their uh, fascist <laughs> tones. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's funny how much football has changed since we grew up. And I, I feel like you're one of the few friends I have who still follows it pretty religiously. <laughs> there's something about watching football and you know following your club you support, following the country you support. It's not so much just about the game itself right there's something about the event that speaks to different levels of existence i mean maybe i'm just too much in love with the sport no. and what it means but i no, think absolutely not. i think there's a lot to be said for a sport that is constant that is you know it's cliche to say oh it's you know the world game or whatever but it is true like it is it true is, it is everyone's sport like mm-hmm. wherever you go in the world even the u.s like it is heavily played and heavily mm-hmm. followed mm-hmm. and there's not as much of a cultural phenomenon with other sports i think Like we've said already, you know, this World Cup being played in Russia, having Russia perform so well in this World Cup as well has sort of like, it's made it a little bit more political than most World Cups, and most World Cups are already very political. Yeah, absolutely. I think, as you can see with Brazil, like I thought Brazil was very political, and I didn't think it would be because um, sometimes I think when you were a kid, you realize it was, well, it was just a party, and then as you grew up, it, you realize that hosting these kinds of events must have taken some toll on different people, you know, yeah. different kinds of people. And one of the most um, sort of issue that you see is uh, the displacement of a lot of indigenous people mm-hmm. in Brazil. So that was a big thing that, and then you see it like, a, you know, throwing this big party obviously means um, there's someone getting the shit end of the stick. Mm-hmm. And it's always at the expense of someone. And you see it with Brazil, and you see this mostly indigenous and mostly um, obviously poor communities who yeah. are pushed out to clean up the streets. This is what happened in South Africa as well, to be fair. Um, mm-hmm. When I went to Cape Town, it was all you know, super clean, and, and in a way, I feel like they're trying to portray this image of um, South Africa or Africa, even in general, that is not all the huts and sticks that people think about, you know? Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's down to people and their horribly um, racist misconceptions but I think they were really trying to play into that okay we're not just this like we're not just animals and savannah kind mm-hmm. of thing mm-hmm. um, but you can definitely see when I was in South Africa you can definitely see that there is no character in it. it feels like everyone's been pushed out and you don't really see a lot of South Africans really anywhere and um, and when you do, in a way, they kind of have this... When I do talk to some South Africans, and a lot of them are mostly white South Africans that I talk to, mm-hmm. um, they 
in a way have this sort of a script on what to say you know <laughs> to foreigners or like um you know tourists who come to western world cup so um yeah it was really bizarre but at the time i didn't really think much of it i mean i heard here and there but it, you know i was still a stupid 19 year old and i wasn't really thinking much in the political implications of hosting such a big tournament for the country but we all heard it like everyone who's hosted these kind of events like you know they are always saying that um, it's going to bring a lot of tourism it's going to bring a lot of investment and stuff but at the end of the day when the party stops you know you've got these all these debts mm-hmm. got all these stadiums to maintain or not maintain which you see in a lot of cases and that's it it's kind of like okay, just like power off for a couple of months, and then you're kind of faced with this big, you know, issue that was caused thanks to this event or hosting this event. I think you know, not to be too much of a Debbie Downer about the World Cup, but it's also oftentimes right, like certain countries in an effort to portray themselves as open as as yeah. welcoming, they might instill policies like you know. I think we see it in this year's World Cup in Russia where. The government's attitude towards people is more open and more welcoming, but mm. it feels like it's only during the World Cup. Is it all going to shut fake. back down? It's fake. Just, just, mm-hmm. You know, just just put it that way. It's fake. It's like it's like the 2008 Olympic in Beijing, right? Yeah. Where they they had this whole dossier to the people to be like, okay, don't do all these things that are <laughs> definitely what you do. At least don't, don't do, do it. it in front of, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's like yeah, of course, of course they kind of portray the best versions of themselves. That's what happens. I mean, if, you know, country these days, this like modern political setting, it's, in a way it's trying to market themselves because mm-hmm. you can't use hard power anymore, right? I mean, no. war is kind of, you know, out of season. It's, it's you know, yeah. it's, it's faux pas. You know, war is faux pas. So you've got all these like different ways to exert soft power. And one of it is when you host these kinds of events and mm-hmm. you can portray yourself in a sense that, oh, okay, you don't know us, like, you know, come to our country and see how friendly we are, or in terms of Russia, see how not racist we are, yep. or see <laughs> how not homophobic we are, whatever. And it's really funny, because you kind of see all these politicians and also just the organizers of the event trying to rush themselves into being in line with the whole world and mm-hmm. their perception and it, and it feels sort of like okay this is all fabricated when we leave you know it's still going to be the same i mean yeah. there's always the hope that it will change for the better after people leave after the media and the cameras leave but there's too many world cups have happened where that wasn't the case <laughs> yeah if not the majority it's kind of weird that we're like downers about it because know, we like, know the history not, and the oh, politics okay guys <laughs> The World Cup is awesome. It's yes. great to watch it. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's a party. Okay? It happens and once every four years and it's worth it. It happens here. every four years. It's <laughs> worth it. But here you go. If you like football, follow a team in a league. It happens every year, every day, every month. Mm-hmm. With okay, with some controversies, but not like not like global controversies like the World Cup, you know. And if you do decide to follow a team, you better make sure you follow the Premier League and follow a team called Arsenal. Okay, cool. <laughs> you, you got your plug in there, all right. <laughs> I got my plug in there. <laughs> I I do think you know part of us growing up is acknowledging that when you appreciate the World Cup, you gotta appreciate it for all the good it brings, and there is a lot of good. There's a lot of joy in 2018 because of the world cup right now but there's also you know 
recognizing the facade, recognizing the marketing campaign that happens that is part of this whole package and sort of like being more, for the lack of a better word, woke about the situation is, I think, important. And so- you have to. You have to. I think if you want to be, I don't want to say this, but like, if you want to be a responsible football fan, I think you have to know, like, I think you have to acknowledge the good and bad. Yeah. And especially with the World Cup, where mm-hmm. it involves, you know, a whole nation and they're put in a spotlight. I think you have to, you can't just discount it and just be like, okay, whatever, that doesn't concern me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just a football fan. I'm just watching it for the game. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't think it is because it's not just a game. It's, no. it's people's lives and it's like, it's culture and, you know, it, it's so much more than that. And everyone is always saying, oh, it's not just a game. So what makes it just a game now? And it's fascinating, right? You know, I, I'm one of those people who read about football analysis that goes beyond the game, like economic implications of it, the social implications of it. And when yeah. countries like Mexico beating Germany, beating the current world champions, that creates such an impact in Mexico itself that that's not something you can neglect when this year they've got the presidential elections. I know we're only talking about 90 minutes plus extra time of a game, but oh, the impact goes beyond the 90 minutes. It is. Like, um, what is that celebration that the two Albanian Swiss players? They did the double, double eagle. eagle. Yeah, they did the double eagle to, I guess, their own message of, you know, Kosovan mm-hmm. independence and Kosovan sovereignty. Yeah, you know, against, against the Serbia. Serbs. Yep. That's, that's not just a game. That, mm-hmm. That's their own their personal and political statement to a team that they feel represent you know oppression to their people Mm -hmm. but there's also one i think croatia did chant something that was used um by by a croatian group that allied with nazi germany or something i don't remember but yeah yeah they did that so like come on you know look at all these examples like i'm Mm -hmm. pretty sure there's more than this I mean, the far-right party in Germany, Alternative for Germany, wanted to put all the blame on the German teams going out on Mesut Ozil and Ilkay Gondwan because they're ethnic Turks. Because they're... Because they're non-German, quote-unquote. So it's, it's, I think, you know, it's befitting for, you know, responsible football fans to recognize the bigger scheme of this because other people from both sides of the extremist aisle are also seeing the opportunity to talk about what they want to talk about using football as a lens and just being aware that it's like when people talk about football to further their message it could be a dangerous scenario right like it's not just oh it's fall fun and games it's all just like in the spirit of competition oh no there's there's a lot more to it I love that we can just so easily talk about the social political impact of football, but let's talk about the the real meat of it, which is who do you think will win the two semifinals? Really, we've already talked about the social political implications, and we're just saying that's the real meat, and you want to go back to the game? No, okay, okay. I've already told you that I really, really want an England versus France final because the history nerd in me is like. What Henry VIII nonsense is this? Okay, let's relive the 100 years war yep. and just see if there's still some hatred between them, okay? And I just want to watch that. I just want to see a France versus England one, mainly because, you know, I haven't seen, I like France as a team, and I haven't seen them 
Um, I haven't really seen them in the finals, obviously, since 2006. <laughs> um, and England, so they can shut up about 1966. <laughs> <laughs> they'll never shut up. <laughs> yeah, they'll never shut up. Because, you know, they always feel like it's their God-given right to win the World Cup mm-hmm. every four years because they invented the game. You know, it's coming home, it's coming home, and all that crap. Um, but I think the English team has been really fantastic to see, actually. I've kind of fallen in love with them a little bit. They're great. I followed the English team on a cursory basis because, you know, you've got Jordan Henderson, the Liverpool captain, playing in there. So I kind of was like, you know what, I'll follow it a little bit, but I never really put my hopes on because it's England. You know, they're perennial underachievers. Oh, yeah, of course. But yeah, I think I really I really fell in love with them when they won in penalties against Colombia. <laughs> Where it's just like, you broke the curse. You broke it. And it was just... Uh, I think getting sort of a completely new team where you're not really relying a lot on superstars like, you know, Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard back mm-hmm. then. And I don't know. Like, I feel like they're a lot more cohesive as a team. And oh, yeah. And just really nice to see. And just to see this... Because obviously their, their faces are also young and new and I don't know them. And, you know, I knew England team to be relying on Lampard and Gerard. You know, these were the times where a lot of these star players were really just getting older and, you know, David Beckham retired and stuff and everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh my god, what are we gonna do? <laughs> Nobody and, can cross anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And to see them sort of like revive in this way in a really positive way, um, it's really good. And also Dele Ali, totally love him. I, like you, also would love to see an England versus France match. You know, there's the England side, which is like, they've never really achieved what they want to say they can achieve. And I feel like, in a way, it's the same for France. They always have great players, but they never mm-hmm. gel. And then by the time they gel, they're like, out. <laughs> or, yeah, you know, or there's the injustice of Matrazzi, you know, it's like... Or some racist Italian prick took <laughs> it away from them. Exactly. It's like, there's always something tragically French that happens. <laughs> to them <laughs> to stop them. <laughs> so it's like oh, they're, they're at this point where they're like they kind of resemble a team now they have really great players and at the end of the day I still want good football to win I don't want the team that tried the best I still want mm. some level of competence and both the French team no, and absolutely. the England team has competence and it's exciting to see who wins I will say though this year's World Cup has been amazing because I do think the four semifinalists have deserved to go to be at this point you know and i think even though i'm rooting for england versus france for the final i think belgium has done really well i think croatia has done really well and if either of them win the world cup they've never won it before yeah yeah exactly no i would be happy if any of those four won the world cup to be fair yeah i think they truly deserved it so this is for the first time I'm just like, I don't really care who really co- Obviously, personally, I want France and England because I love, I live for the drama. Um, <laughs> yes, the drama but, would be amazing. <laughs> but even even if it's Belgium and Croatia, I would just be as happy. I really want England to win. I think this yeah. is as good as a chance as they're going to get. And <laughs> That's actually true. And it's also like, if it's not this most humble of England teams, then they're just going to be even more braggadocious about it and it's gonna be even more annoying (laughs) yeah but imagine them winning the world cup that's gonna be annoying too (laughs) we're gonna be listening to gary lineker talk about it for ages and ages and ages but you know that's that's the price you pay someone someone (laughs) shut him up please Uh. oh god all right well thank you for having me talk in this um world cup special 
Because God knows Stephanie can't do it. It's really funny. I, I proposed this idea to Steph, and, and then she was like, I have literally nothing to contribute. You go do it yourself. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'll take that. <laughs> she knows nothing about sports. She's the type of person who's like, is the sports on today? <laughs> is the, the, the ball game on? <laughs> She is like the, the ball most game. non-sporty person I've ever met. She just doesn't. She just doesn't thinks care. this world doesn't exist. You know, it's really funny. She yeah. sees the news, just not the sports section or the headline or anything. Oh, anything or even the memes, nothing. Yeah, it's, it's really funny. I feel like Bold Cove has been a lot funner in the social media age a little bit. You know? Yes, because you get to see so many different reactions, and you're just like, oh, yeah. Back then, it was just the news and your neighbor. Yeah, like the moment kind of lives on forever, much longer, you know. It's like, there's something special about it. For all its faults, there's something special about seeing the World Cup in today's age. Yeah, but I don't know. I do, I have lost that magic of being a little kid supporting the team. And not thinking about Russia potentially uh, paying off FIFA to get this host. Potentially? I mean, that's basically how... Potentially? I mean, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Or Qatar. Yep, or America. Yeah, the next two World Cup. I'm just... Yeah. yeah. Cool. On that very I... positive note about the future of the World Cup. <laughs> Thank you so much, Carrie. No worries. Anytime. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us in these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at dialogicapod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Steph Tank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again and see you guys next time. Bye!